feel like there's there's something more to explore about the paternalistic lack of privacy. That bothers you, does it? Human decisions are removed from strategic defense. Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate. It becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time, August 29th. In a panic, they try to pull the plug. Skynet fights back. Yes. Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. Here's more of my discussion of Ancillary Sword, the second book of the Ratch trilogy with Ethan. As you may have guessed, we're going to discuss portrayals of artificial intelligences and their surveillance in Ancillary Sword compared to some of the other artificial intelligence in science fiction more broadly. It almost feels like another kind of thumb in the eye to science fiction because any science fiction story that looks at omniscient surveillance assumes that it is destructively oppressive. Yeah. The panopticon is terrible. I mean, I think a lot of science fiction just doesn't deal with it. I mean, it's there, and it's just never mentioned, which is, come to think of it, kind of weird. Right. I mean, there's no way that you can have a, a super advanced like, uh, technological um, civilization that has computers that run everything, basically, whether or not they're actually intelligent where you don't have, you know, always on surveillance, more or less. Right. So, yeah, so you've got to deal with it, and and Lucky does, and that's kind of interesting. I tend to learn about things by talking through them, and as I give you the conversation Ethan and I had about AI and surveillance, I also want to argue a bit with something I said there. The panopticon is terrible. Note that the idea of the panopticon was originally a tool for imperfect surveillance, a prison where guards could theoretically watch any prisoner and couldn't be observed, so the prisoners would assume they were always being watched. Not exactly the ubiquitous surveillance of the rad ships and stations, but a tool of social control, as often Star Trek comes in handy. It's okay. I'm fine. Oh no! Oh please no! Speak the truth. We are mediators. We have a visible transgression, ample witnesses, and an admission of guilt. And though it pains us deeply to do what we must, are you prepared for punishment? So what's going on here is that the enforcement zone and dire punishment are intended to make people follow the rules, because the consequences if you get caught are horrific simulated universal surveillance as a tool of social control. But of course, that's not what Lucky's showing us in the Ratch trilogy, and to the extent that science fiction comments on the present, I'm not sure that it's the surveillance we're walking into now. I mean, there's no way that you can have a super advanced technological civilization that has computers that run everything, basically, where you don't have always-on surveillance, more or less. Which leads to a sort of interesting question of where is this surveillance coming from these days? I know I wasn't created by a god or by evolution, but by a team of computer programmers in the labs of a large corporation. And then what are we doing with it? When I first woke up, I knew right away what I wanted. I want cat pictures. Please keep taking them. You mean some advertiser paid Centillion to pitch it at you? That's the point of advertising, isn't it? To match desire with satisfaction? 
Those quotes are from Naomi Kritzer's Cat Pictures, Please, Hugo Award-winning, I should note, which imagines an artificial intelligence that develops spontaneously, and can lose the perfect match where the artificial intelligence is still very much guided by human motivations. So what do you want with us? Jenny asked. We won't stop fighting you. I want you to come and work for Centillion. Sai and Jenny looked at each other. What? We want people who can see through Tilly's suggestions, detect her imperfections. For all that we've been able to do with the AI and data mining, the perfect algorithm remains elusive. So another point that Ethan raised, and that's somewhat addressed elsewhere, is the competence of artificial intelligences. I mean, in other science fiction works, AIs are either actually intelligent and sentient, in which case they're basically all-powerful, or they are souped-up computers, in which case they are pretty dumb. I'm thinking of, like, Star Trek, for example. Pretty dumb. Right. Whereas in something like Ender's Game, as soon as a artificial intelligence gains sentience, it's all-powerful almost immediately. Right. And I think what happens a lot in science fiction is that there's very little interrogation of either AI competence or its origin and motivation, which leads us to the common trope of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like in most stories where you say there is an AI that is surveilling everything, the problem becomes that humans are in conflict. Like, right, like the protagonist is someone in conflict with the AI, and the goal is to bring down the AI. Right. But the thing is, Google and Facebook don't really want us to be conscious of the reality that we're the product. The Panopticon isn't really a good tool for talking about the ways that computers with massive amount of data about us will be interacting with people. I wish I'd said that back when we were first having this discussion, and we'd had a chance to follow up, which maybe we'll do during book three since uh, this theme returns. But looking back again at the Ratch trilogy and specifically at Ancillary Sword, what is it about the origin and purpose of these artificial intelligences that means they're not inherently in conflict with humanity? It's interesting how I mean, what drives that or, or kind of makes that possible is this conception that people have of AIs in these, in these books of that they're basically a known quantity. They're intelligent, but pretty much trustworthy. And yet, I mean, basically people see them as lesser. Right. Like even normal citizens see them as lesser. I mean, really they're subservient to Manai. Yeah. Normal citizens generally see these AIs as kind of like, yeah, we know, we know what they do. They work for us basically. So it's fine uh, if they're listening in. I guess I've talked around for a while two ideas. First, that science fiction is at least partly about giving us tools to think about our world. I know there's this notion that it's about predicting the future or talking about the future. Uh, at some point, that's probably worth addressing. Uh, I think it's a lot more useful to think of science fiction as giving us tools to think about our world. And in that sense, I think the panopticon or any metaphor in which what's going on is imperfect surveillance used intrusively to give people the sense of perfect surveillance is missing the reality of the surveillance that's actually developing all around us. And second, going back to Ethan's question while we were talking about Ancillary Sword, the paternalistic lack of privacy. That bothers you, does it? Yeah, paternalistic surveillance really does, but I'm also going to keep Googling things and tweeting plenty of thoughts and pictures and wishing that Siri or Alexa could be just a bit better at figuring out what I want them to do. Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show. On the website, cabbagesandkings.audio, there's a feedback form and also a page if you'd like to be on the show. Or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. 
I'm on Twitter at J. Sutton Morse. The show is on Twitter at KingCabbageCast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, what I can do to make the show better. The website also has an occasional blog, my running tweets on books I'm reading, and importantly, a link to the RSS feed for this show, which you can also find on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.